1: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan Live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: Hi, everyone. If you're thinking of planting a fruit tree this year, you need to decide what type of fruit you want to grow. Are apples your thing? Well, then, apple trees will be a priority for you. Are you a sweet cherry type of person? Then you'll probably buy a sweet cherry tree. Or maybe you're all about pears or mangoes or apricots. Either way, most of the time you're going to need to buy at least one tree of each type of fruit, a fruit tree, in order to successfully produce a harvest. You'll need to consider each tree's pollination requirements. You might want to think about disease-resistant varieties and lots of other factors. So, If you want to grow lots of different types of fruit, well then you'll need lots of different types of fruit trees. And then you're going to need to find a space for them all in your garden. And for many of us, that's the problem. You see, fruit trees are a little bit like puppies. They start small, but they can grow up to be pretty big. And so if you plant a lot of fruit trees in a small space, your garden may over time become a tangle of fruit trees, all competing with each other for space and sunshine. But what if it was possible to plant just one tree that will produce all sorts of different types of fruit? Just imagine that. You may be able to go into your yard in July and pick some cherries. Then in August, the plums might be ready to eat. In September, you can enjoy juicy peaches and nectarines. Does that sound pretty good to you? Well, this actually can happen. And my guest on the show today knows all about it. His name is Sam Van Aken. He's an award-winning artist and an associate professor in the art department of Syracuse University. And Sam is the creator of the Tree of Forty Fruit. That the trees that Sam creates aren't just productive, but they are also living art. And he's going to talk about that in the show today. But before I bring Sam on the line, I would love to hear from you. Have you ever created a multigraph tree? Do you have one in your yard? Do you think it's a good idea to create trees that produce multiple types of fruit? Send us an email during the show with your thoughts about this topic or with a question or any other comment, and we will enter you into this month's contest. Today we have three prizes, so we will have three winners. And the prize is a copy of the Old Farmer's Almanac 2021 Garden Guide, valued at $5.99. Now, to enter the contest, all you have to do is send us an email during the live show. Our email is instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. We look forward to hearing from you. So now let's talk about the tree of 40 fruit project. Sam Van Aken, welcome to the show today.
2: Oh, hi, thank you so much for having me here.
1: I am so happy to have you here because frankly, I have heard about you lots and lots on the internet. And (laughs) I've heard originally, I thought there was just one tree of 40 fruit, but there's quite a few of them. How, yeah. Tell me how did this project start? How did you get involved in creating these amazing trees?
2: I, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I started um, I started because I wanted to have one for myself and well it, it actually started from a bunch of diff- different places, but I had um, my great grandfather grafted fruit trees. So I had never met him, but everybody in my family that talked about him, spoke about him as if he, he was a magician or had some magical capability. So I, I had always, you know, as I grew up on a farm, I went to art school, which was exactly the opposite of farming <laughs> and, but grafting always kept coming back to me. And I knew that you could graft stone fruit together. And then I started to wonder if I could control how the blossom appeared in spring. Right. So I could essentially sculpt the blossom of a tree.
1: So talk to me about that. So this, your tree of 40 fruit, I talk about it because I'm a a fruity, fruity kind of person and interfruit trees. I talk about it from the harvest perspective, but what, what do you see when these trees blossom? What do they look like?
2: Yeah, they, they start off, uh, It pretty much with a white blossom. So those will be apricots and Asian plum varieties. Uh, I've been able to source some uh, Asian or red leaf plum varieties uh, that have pink blossoms. So they're white and then pink. And then after the Asian plums, then it's the peaches and European plums. And the peaches have really dark crimson colors and pinks and whites. And so it's, um, I like to say variegated, but it's almost like little clouds or clusters of blossoms on each of the branches.
1: So you are thinking very carefully as you decide where to put each branch. This is not just about throw the branches on, on the left you put all the peaches, on the right you put all the (laughs) apricots, you know, Uh and then just you get what you get. This is a piece of art.
2: Yeah. And it totally, it completely arrived out of a absolute blunder uh, because I had grafted a bunch of varieties onto a tree. And then um, it was like two springs later, one side of the tree blossomed and the other looked dead. <laughs> I, was, I went, oh yeah, I'll probably have to consider that.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So the tree of 40 fruit, the first one, um, yeah. what fruit, what fruit did it produce or what, you know, what did you graft onto it and where was that exhibited?
2: Yeah. So, um, that, (laughs) that's the funny part of how I got into this. So I was, um, I have a art gallery in New York and they were asking me what I was working on and I rattled off all these art projects, you know, probably about half a dozen. And, um, Then I said, yeah, and I'm grafting fruit trees and everybody perked up and thought (laughs) they were like, oh, what is this? And so uh, I exhibited them for the first time at the Armory Show in New York City in 2011. And uh, the first tree uh, was actually planted here on the Syracuse University campus.
1: Okay, so when you exhibited them, did you exhibit pictures of them? Or did you dig up the tree and move it into the exhibition? How did that work? You didn't.
2: Yeah, it was. No, I took, you know, eight to 10 foot tall, one and a half inch caliper trees. And I have um, the way that I grow them in my nursery is I grow them in a square planter. So uh, when I exhibited them, I could just take the sides off and it's just this perfect mound of dirt and it has the tree coming out.
1: Oh my gosh. Now, how long do you keep those trees in pots for? Or do you eventually plant them elsewhere?
2: It depends. I, yeah, they all eventually get planted in the ground. Um, usually what I'll do is they grow in the first planter for two to three years, and then I'll root prune them and then transfer them to a larger container and gradually keep working up. And um, with the tree 40 fruit, I try to graph them so that there's 15 to 20 varieties on each tree before they get planted. But from what I've found with trees is once they get over a certain caliper size, so once they're over an inch or an inch and a half, it it takes them longer to establish in the soil than if you started with just a sapling. So,
1: so. essentially you are ready grafting them, not with 40 fruits, not with 40 different types of varieties or different types of fruits. Um, you're starting small, you plant mm-hmm. the tree, you let it grow a bit. And then I guess over the years, you're grafting on more and more branches to get to your perfect number of 40. Is that correct?
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it involves, um, I, I don't know, if this might be getting into the minutiae of it a little early, but um, I use a lot of inner stock varieties. Uh, so, Typically, what I'll do is I'll I'll graft the tree onto a root structure, let that grow two to three years. I'll head it off, so prune off the prune out the center trunk, let it form four to five scaffolding branches, and onto those I graft interstock varieties. So those are varieties that are compatible with all of the other 40 uh, fruit varieties.
1: So we're going to go into more detail about this whole interstem. Okay. (laughs) We're going to, I want to know all about that. We've got a couple of emails here that I'm looking at. So um, we've got the first one, Kamyar. My name is Kamyar from Brockville, Ontario. My question is which cultivar of rootstock works best for a multi-grafted stone fruit cocktail tree? and which interstem is used when grafting stone fruits to each other. So Kamyar is jumping ahead, but that's good. We want to know. Okay. So.
2: Okay. So um, the, typically what I use is um, it's a marabalin rootstock, and then I'll use a Santa Rosa plum. Uh, So Santa Rosa was developed by Luther Burbank, probably about the turn of the 20th century. Um, and he came up with these varieties that crossed, uh, Japanese plums with American plums and a Chinese plum. So they have this crazy genetic sort of history and they prove to be the most compatible. Um, in Ontario, I might, the other tree that I'll use for, for colder climates is a Stanley plum. Uh, as the base tree on a marabolin rootstock. And, you know, the reason for that is out of all of the stone fruits, plum trees provide the best structure.
1: Okay. So let's just go through that with the little fine tooth comb. So you're doing a stone fruit tree and you're starting with Mm -hmm. a plum tree as your base, as your rootstock, a plum tree, but you're going to be able to put on what other types of fruit on there other than plums?
2: Uh peaches, uh, other types of plums, apricots, almonds, cherries, nectarines.
1: So now is this magic or um, so <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question. So what is the role then okay. of how you are going to connect this plum tree? How are you going to turn some of the branches into peach bearing branches? And you were talking about the interstem there.
2: Yeah. So uh, it took a while to figure out, but essentially I realized what I would do is invert the tree. So mirabalin rootstock uh, is compatible with, it's probably the most compatible variety with plums. You can graft European plums to it. You can graft Asian plums to it. And so what I do after I get that form of the tree, right, that perfect vase shape, I'll take marabalin cuttings and graft them onto the end of the tree and that's called an inner stock so that way i'll be able to graft other plums onto it
1: so the inner stock is kind of i'm trying to think of a metaphor what is it it's like the the highway that connects the two different things that you've got genetically two different things you're trying to put them together and they need something that will be friendly to both sides is that correct
2: yeah yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's glue. <laughs>
1: it's the glue. Actually, that's great. Yeah. It's the glue. And using these grafting skills that you have developed, you are able to um, graft or merge together these branches that don't necessarily want to necessarily grow together, and you're tricking Correct. them into growing yeah. together. Exactly. So we have a beautiful email here from Gilles. Uh, this is very nice. And uh, Gilles writes... Thanks, Susan Poisner, for turning me on to two good things. First is the Fruit Tree Care course, which was super interesting. I learned a lot about caring for my fruit trees. He's talking about my courses at orchardpeople.com that slash workshops. That is so nice. Second is Reality Radio 101. I went to it for the first time to listen to one of your previous podcasts. Ever since then, I have been listening to it. It's now my favorite radio station. So our producer is on on the line as well. Gary, I'm wow. sure you're blushing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. And, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you very much.
1: This this station is a labor of love for Gary, Gilles. So this is, he works so hard on the music, on the shows. So this is beautiful. And then he writes, I have four fruit trees in my backyard. And I just love the idea of one tree with all these varieties in the one tree. I am listening avidly. So that's from Gilles Cornwall, Ontario. Thank you so much for that beautiful email. So let's go back again. Now, we are talking about these beautiful Tree of 40 Fruits. You Mm -hmm. did the first exhibition. How did things start to get more interesting after that? How did you start getting more commissions from that point?
2: Yeah, it was interesting (laughs) because I remember when I first exhibited them, I I thought nobody's ever going to want any of these. (laughs) So I made all these out there. I, I had a whole bunch of prints uh that were for sale as well. I didn't sell any of the prints, but everybody wanted one of the trees. Um and and it was, you know, as I first started, it was really about the the blossom of the trees, right? I was I was primarily concerned with that. Um as the project evolved, I started to get more interested in heirloom and antique varieties because I realized that the majority of varieties I had collected to that point were heirloom varieties. And from that, um, as as people would ask me to create trees, I would research the varieties that historically grew in the area where they were. I would source them and graph them onto their trees so that they became these agricultural histories of a region.
1: So that's- That's
2: (laughs) beautiful, which
1: means that every tree is going to be very unique, have its own character. Um, And so if you were to do one of these trees here in Toronto, you would do your research. What were what are some famous Canadian um, fruits? Now, I've noticed that you seem to be all about the stone fruits, uh, that many of your Tree of 40 Fruit um, projects our stone fruit projects. Uh, do you ever get apples and pears and, and other thing, other types of fruits involved here?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, I also work with apples, uh, you have just sort of historic apple varieties, but uh, it, it took a while uh, to create the same effect with apples that um, I could create with stone fruit. Uh, to get that pink and white blossom because there's only three or four uh three or four varieties of heirloom apples that are that are out there that you can that you can get that have pink blossoms and the others you you sort of fill in with crab apple varieties. Um, so, so are you saying
1: that apple that pear trees are not just just not going to have the same um sort of, they're not going to pack a punch in the spring in the same way. You don't get the same dazzling uh, show of flowers, I guess.
2: Oh, they do now. Yeah. It took a while to get there. It took a while because I test out all of the varieties to see their blossom first. And then I record when they blossom in relationship to each other. So apples, they, they also grow, uh, apples and pears grow slower than stone fruit. And so it just took a while for me to, get enough information where I could I could make a tree like that
1: so we have an email here from Susan there's another Susan out there and Susan writes wow what a topic who would have thought it sounds too good to be true to have one tree bear all types of fruit how is that even possible is this tree patented so very cool listening from Phoenix Arizona so Is it too good to be true? (laughs) Is there a downside to having a tree of 40 fruit or however many fruit?
2: It depends on who you are. Um, I remember the great part about the project is that I I get to go meet fruit growers who I think are very similar to artists in that they're people that spend way too much time alone. (laughs) So they think of very strange ideas um so as I would go out and talk to to fruit growers in in central New York where I'm located um they would all you know I would explain what I I was doing and they they would all go well why would you want to do that and I mean like what do you mean why would I want to do that and they're like you're gonna need to pick that tree 40 times and I was like well yeah that's the point point. <laughs> and so from a from an agriculture perspective the From mass agriculture perspective, the downside is that it produces a limited number of fruit from June through, you know, you can even pick fruit, you know, sort of beginning of October, right? Whereas, you know, industrial ag, they want to be able to harvest everything at one time, move through an orchard. Um, It works out great if you have one in your yard, because you can pick You know, at its peak, you can pick 20 pieces of fruit a week and have fruit for 12, you know, 12 or so weeks out of the year.
1: That's incredible. That sounds like fun. So we have another email here. Uh, Now, this is from Janice. Not sure where Janice is from. Janice writes, why is Sam's work not really promoted worldwide? This is amazing. What an invention. I am hooked. (laughs) So have you been promoted worldwide? Are you getting a little buzz from abroad as well? Cause.
2: Yeah, I guess so. You know, I try not to, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't really do anything to promote it. I I'd sort of rather it be like, I've always thought it's better to be best kept secret than, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, be too much hype or something. Um, I, it's, I do have a couple projects around the world and, um, Every once in a while, some newspaper picks it up and you know, talks about it. Yeah. So
1: here I've got a couple of comments on Facebook. So I'm a member of a couple groups on Facebook where people talk about growing fruit trees. And there were some interesting comments when I talked about these fruit cocktail trees or multi-fruit producing trees. I'll read you one or two of them. Daniel from Vallejo, California writes, okay. many of my trees are multi-grafted. One tree has almonds on the bottom, plum in the middle, and cherries, sweet cherries, on the top. Uh, So Daniel says it's not particularly practical, but it's a fun conversational piece. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Now, um, we also have a comment here from Marion from Northern California. So Marion has developed her grafting skills and listen to what she's been up to. Marion writes, I have created a... 450 in one apple so one apple tree with 450 different types of apples on it she's also created a 60 in one pear so one pear tree with 60 different varieties she's created a 30 in one plum a 30 in one citrus an eight in one avocado an eight in one persimmon and she lives in northern california so Marion writes, my very first grafting experience was with my mother's two apple trees, a Fuji and a golden delicious apple. I cross grafted them and they were both successful. And then I went further and read a lot about grafting online. Then I experimented on all of my mother's trees. Now her backyard (laughs) fruit trees are all multi-grafted. Neighbors and visitors are in awe. Her garden has become a conversation piece. By the way, she says, because I said, wow, you have 450 apples on one tree. Do you have every single apple variety in the world on there? And she says, no, by the way, there are over 2,500 varieties of apples. I only grafted 450 of them on my apple tree. She (laughs) says, the experiment is still ongoing and it is a great hobby. (laughs) I love that. We've got to meet Marion. You guys, oh my God, you guys would be talking forever, the two of you.
2: The avocado tree. Oh, Oh, that's dreamy. That
1: That would be great. (laughs) Okay, we've got an email from, ah, an email from Joan who says, hello, I just tuned in. What are stone fruits? Thanks.
2: Okay, well, uh, they're all of the fruits that you might get with a pit, right? So those are... Peaches, plums, apricots, nectarines, cherries, and almonds fall into that right? Okay. because their pit is sweet.
1: Yep. So they've stoned. That's why we call them stone fruits. And they're all quite, comp- well, they can be made compatible. Um, yeah. Could you put an apple on your stone fruit tree? Would that ever happen?
2: If I could, that would be patentable. No, unfortunately, at the moment, no. <laughs> Um, although I am working with, uh, a Japanese, uh, biotech firm, um, that has found a natural way to graft interfamily plants. Mm. Uh, so grafting, um, we're working on right now, it's a smaller scale. We're working with plants that you can graft an entire bouquet of flowers to. So that continuously grows.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So there's something about the biology of the apple tree and the biology of the stone fruit types of trees that is just not going to the graft will never take. Is that the thing?
2: Correct. Yeah. It, it, you know, at a base level, it comes down to cellular structure. Okay. Right. So even with palm fruits, if you're to take um, pears graft to apples, they might be successful for a few years, but eventually fail.
1: Okay, so we have an email here from Howard from Columbus, Ohio. This is a very good question. And um, so Howard says, hello from Columbus, Ohio. Are these trees easy to maintain or not? How about the climate to grow them? Are they hardy?
2: All right. Um, They are, once they reach maturity, they're the same as any fruit tree. Like I I don't do anything special with them. Um, I do all organic uh, sprays uh, to keep away pests, fungus. Um, Yeah, prune them very much the same way. Um, And in terms of cold hardiness, they're going to be as hardy as the varieties that you graft onto them. All right. So if I am placing a tree in a colder environment, I'm only going to select varieties that are, you know, zone four, zone five. And, um, the thing that I am finding is here in upstate New York with how erratic the weather's become in the past six or seven years, I actually have to grow varieties that are from a colder zone. Uh, because one of the things that happens, um, It isn't necessarily the cold that kills the tree. It's just the successive frosts that kill the blossoms and you don't get the fruit. Um, And there were several years where we had 75 degree weather in January or February, the trees would blossom Mm. and the frosts would kill it. You know, they'd kill all the fruit and by using cold hardier fruit that blossoms later, you can avoid that. So, I I know for a while everybody was saying, oh, we're going to be able to grow fruit from warmer weather. And it's just sort of the opposite.
1: I also want to comment on this question. So I've been growing fruit trees for over 10 years now, and all fruit trees need hands-on care. All fruit trees get pest and disease problems. All fruit trees need specialized pruning. It's not rocket science, but you need to know what you need to know. And you need to do what you need to do. So anybody who's naively going in and thinking, I'm going to get one of those trees, I'm not going to prune it, I'm not going to protect it from pests and disease, you may not have a positive experience. So (laughs) yeah, so (laughs) you know what, And, and I know that with you, because we've talked earlier, you're going out there, you're maintaining the trees, there is a spray schedule that the gardeners wherever they are. Has to keep to protect these trees from pests and diseases. Yeah. So, you know, it's a commitment. A fruit tree is like a baby; it's a commitment, and like a puppy, as I said earlier, you don't get a puppy and not feed it and and not walk it and pat it and give it loving. So there you go. <laughs> um, okay, one more email, then we're going to go for a quick commercial uh, break. But this is a nice email from Kara. Kara says this gentleman is amazing. I'm reading his bio and about information. What a read, art and horticulture. This is amazing. Thanks for the show. So you're a very modest oh
0: person. That's, That's too kind. To say.
1: <laughs> very kind. OK, how do you feel? Let's take a few minutes. We have some wonderful sponsors. And because of them, this show is able to happen. And we can be here. And um, I would love to hear for a few words from our sponsors. Uh, can you hold on the line for a couple of minutes? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Good, absolutely. Because we got more conversation. This is great. Got I can't believe We already went <laughs> a half an hour. I'm like,
1: ah. <laughs> where did the time go?
2: I know. Oh, uh, this is great.
1: Okay, perfect. So uh, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book. Growing Urban Orchards. And we have so much more to talk about, so we will be back right after the break.
3: If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You could learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Elora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle tree Nursery. Call us today.
4: G'day gardeners, it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young, newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches, which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell, we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time, so municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell Water Savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you? Dig the easy to install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees. Then each week you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water And that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But, do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca
1: Hi everyone! Congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree! Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled, hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious, organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada, and over the years I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed ebooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy Growing from OrchardPeople.com
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com And now, Right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we are talking about multi graft fruit trees. These are fruit trees that produce all sorts of different types of fruit on just one tree. And my guest on the show today is award-winning artist Sam Van Aken, who is the creator of The Tree of Forty Fruit. Sam is also an associate professor in the art department of Syracuse University. Now, in the first part of the show, we talked about Sam's trees and how they are growing in prominent locations across the United States, and we discussed how this project has flourished and spread. In this part of the show, I want to talk a little bit more about some technical stuff. How do you graft these crazy monster trees with all these amazing fruits on them? So we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to hear from you, the listeners. If you're listening to this show live, please do email us right now with your questions or your comments or email us just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. If you do, we will enter you into this month's contest and we have three prizes for three listeners. The prize is a copy of the Old Farmer's Almanac 2021 Garden Guide, valued at $5.99. And if you win, we'll send it off to you. So to enter the contest, send us an email right now with your question or comment. Send that email to instudio101 at gmail.com and be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. So that's instudio101 at gmail.com. And we can't wait to hear from you. Okay. So Sam, let's talk about grafting. Why does it even work? And we were talking a little bit about interstem grafting. So uh, how come it
2: works? So essentially... um compatibility between tree between fruit varieties depends on the cellular structure as you graft them together, right After the graft heals, those cells essentially merge and the tree's vascular system is what feeds both both the base tree and the the variety that you grafted on top. So, so that's a like- simple. It's simple,
1: yeah. but you're fooling. Are you fooling the tree because it's it's tricked into merging with a different, uh, genetically different piece of tree? Um, but what it's happening is the mother tree or the rootstock is going to push food and water and all sorts of goodness into these branches because you know it's adopted them. It's adopted these right. branches. Yeah. Yep. And, and so the branches retain their DNA so they will always produce the fruit that they you got their, them from. Like it's always, the fruit isn't going to change.
2: Yeah, they all, they maintain their own genetic identity. So, you know, I've heard a, one story about a tree that, it, it's a myth, but <laughs> that's one tree once upon a time that reverted to the rootstock. But that's out of, you know, you have to think millions and millions of trees that get grafted every year.
1: Mm, that would be interesting. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we've got some questions here. Um, this is from MJ in Seattle. Have you noticed a correlation between the rootstock diameter and the overall health and productivity of the grafted tree? So you may want to explain the question while you answer it.
2: Yeah, so I think if I understand um, the question correctly, it's um, so sometimes your the root structure that you graft onto is going to have a different grow rate than the tree that's on top. Like the any tree that you graft on top of a root structure, doesn't necessarily know it's been grafted onto a root structure. Uh, that isn't communicated from the roots to the, the tree itself. Um, as the tree ages and matures, those, the, the tree that you top worked onto the root system um, can sometimes be smaller than a root structure that bulges. Um, working with stone fruit, I don't see that phenomena so much as I do with apple varieties. And to be honest, I don't think I've been growing apple varieties. You know, I've been growing apples for maybe 10 or 11 years at this point, which it's not, it hasn't become anything that I could measure at the moment.
1: Okay. We've got another email here from Gwen saying, this is an incredible show. I cannot believe that there is a tree that will do this. Does the world know if not, They are hearing it now on this radio show. (laughs) 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 I I even think that all of grafting is incredible because as most people know, or many people know that every single fruit tree that we buy or that we, we go and plant, most of them are grafted. They all have a rootstock, but instead of having branches, 10 different types of branches, branches, they've all been grafted with one type of scion, uh, you know, that is one tree, so let's say Macintosh apple. You grab your rootstock, you grab your branch from the Macintosh apple tree and the rest, the tree will produce Macintosh apples. Yep. But it is pretty magical. Okay, another question here uh, from William. Hello, can you pick and choose which fruits can grow on specific trees? Or do all the trees bear the same fruit? Thank you, from Tuscan, Arizona. Good question. So people who are your customers, do you just give them a bog standard? This is your combination of fruits. You're going to get this, that, and the other, or do you customize to it to their needs? Oh, they're all
2: customized. Yeah, they're all customized according to location. And a lot of it goes, it becomes a huge research project because you'll, you know, I'll pour back through uh, like libraries, through city documents to find out farms that were grown there to see if I can find anything about the farms uh you know that was published that gives you an indication of the varieties grown look at agricultural reports uh you know from the 19th century and you can kind of piece together varieties that were popular at the time local varieties that were really popular and try to source those
1: So essentially, your trees are very customized because they also have to be customized to the climate of that particular location. Um, Do the people or organizations that that commission you to do this, do they have certain needs? They'll say, you can do any fruits you want, except I need to know there's going to be this type of plum on there. I love that plum. Or do they just let you do what you want?
2: Yeah they <laughs> they usually let me do what I want but then some people will um you know they'll have special requests it's you know they're like but I'd really like to have apricots on there <laughs> and, and um, like- yeah, I'm yeah working on a project now um actually for Arizona that are um it's all about the Spanish mission peaches so Uh, There used to be the Camino Real that ran from Mexico City into New Mexico, and it's where the Spanish built missions, and it's where they first introduced peaches into North America, and uh, those peach seeds escaped, and um, they were cultivated by Native Americans for two, three hundred years, and there's still traces of them, so... We're trying to to track down as many as we can to create one of those Spanish mission peach trees.
1: Be amazing. It's a piece of history. It's edible history. Um, got so many emails today, Sam. I've got to say you have spurred people's imagination. Let's oh, see what good. the next one is. <laughs> okay, we've got an email here from Eric. Hi, loving the show from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Is it possible to grow one of these trees inside a commercial building? I have a small mall that I own and have a common, long, huge hallway entrance to various smaller stores. I think it would be amazing to grow one of these inside, but is it possible? And if so, what would I need to do? Thanks.
2: Okay, this will definitely, this will be a challenge for him. Um, you're going to have to drop the temperature below 45 degrees for a thousand hours or build a, a glass house where you could do that. And the reason for that is that fruit trees need to go dormant every year, right? They need to have time. They need to have a certain amount of cooling hours. So that's uh, for most apple trees say that's a thousand hours below 45 degrees. And at which point the buds reset and they get ready to blossom for the following spring. So that's, yeah. But it's I've read, be tricky. yeah, it's it's a little tricky to do. Um, I've worked with a couple of people on doing it. So um, yeah, so I know how to do it. And the interesting thing that I read was that um, in China they're actually doing warehouse grown peaches where they can grow two, uh, two crops of peaches by controlling the weather within in the warehouse each year. Wow. It's probably, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. You <laughs> it's <know>? kind of crazy.
1: <laughs> oh, nature isn't good enough for us anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh. Okay, another question. This is from Bill. Can your guest please tell us about working with artists from the former communist regime? That is so fascinating.
2: Oh yeah, that was really cool. I I, I have one of my college professors to thank for that because he he made that introduction and um, essentially set it up where right after I got out of undergrad, he uh, I went to Poland. And I sort of just got dropped into Poland, and this probably dates me, but this was the early '90s. So this is really a year or two after they transitioned from communism to capitalism, and it was it was almost oh, it was like flawless, to be honest. And um, the thing that was really impressive to me is the artists that um, that I worked with; they were considered dissident which under the communists meant that they couldn't, by law, make art, right? So it was illegal for them to make art. And what they did is they would have art exhibitions in living rooms, in abandoned buildings, and ran the risk that if they were caught, they would have to do jail time. They'd have their passports revoked. And the government felt that art was so important that they tried to limit who could officially make it. And I think for somebody that was really young to see that, um, particularly somebody from the US, it's art isn't, we don't take it that seriously, right? It's often dismissed and uh yeah to those communist governments they saw the importance of it so
1: well and people put their lives and their livelihoods in danger just to be able to express themselves in that way with freedom um yeah it's funny because i myself also spent some time in the former well what was once the soviet union and you talk about lawlessness there were these bandits that would ride the um The the trains and I was on a train and I was told I speak Russian. I was told, whatever you do, don't speak. Pretend you cannot speak because if they hear your accent, the bandits will get you and they will steal your money and whatever. And it's like, oh, my gosh, help. And then there was a chatty lady on the train who wanted to chat with me. And I'm like, I can't talk. I said in Russian, can't talk sore throat, can't talk. (laughs) So, yes, so crazy times. But there is so much about the former Soviet Union that is fascinating. And the attitude at the time about um, art, education, uh, that kind of thing. Let's see. We have a little email here from Peter. Peter, thank you for asking this. Peter asks, hi, are there any of these trees in Canada? And if so, where?
2: There's one that was started in High Park. A uh, couple years ago. So it's still growing a little bit.
1: And that's but, in Toronto, right? High Park mm-hmm, in Toronto. Yeah,
2: yeah. So hoping it'll, you know, well, COVID put a, a little bit of a delay on that. Um, but yeah, hopefully within a couple years.
1: And how can people find and check out the other trees? Like, do you have a map of your tree? If your different trees across, like, because you have them in all different states, right? What are some of the states you can find those trees in?
2: Oh, uh, everywhere from sort of Maine to Arkansas. And then there's a few uh, in California. So So
1: is it top secret or is there some map for tourists? Oh, no, I think I have a map
2: on my website or... somebody wants to email me, uh, it's samvanaken.com. If somebody wants to email, I can send them out. Yeah. Okay.
1: So to your website, let's hear your website address.
2: Oh, it's samvanaken.com.
1: Okay. And if they want to email you, they can reach you at?
2: Oh, that'll be, actually, there's a, on my website, there's a email.
1: A contact function on it. Yep. Okay. I have another uh, Facebook comment that I wanted to share with you that I found interesting. This is from Taylor from Tennessee. Now Taylor is the admin of a Facebook group called backyard apple growers. Nice. And this I found this very interesting. So Taylor writes, for those who do graft multi-graft fruit trees, please do not share scion wood from them. Once I realized how prominent viruses are in fruits like apple and how much scion is passed around from person to person to use to graft with, I stopped grafting multi-variety trees. There is too much chance to infect all your scion with the virus, and then you're giving it away to other people. I want to be able to send scion or clippings from my trees to friends, and it is much safer to segregate varieties to their own rootstocks. How do you feel about that?
2: Oh, I think I, I completely agree. The one thing that I would I would say to that is before even grafting, be really careful of where you're getting that scion wood from, right? I, I don't do anything through, uh, I, I realize it's terrible to say, but I don't do anything through scion exchanges. Um, I use all stock that I get um, through our... Uh, the USDA. So as a university researcher, I have access to the USDA germplasm. Um, I'll either get it from there or the other place that I get it from is from uh, UC Davis. Uh, So University of California, Davis offers a program called Foundation Plant Services, which provides virus index stock. And yeah, it is true. Like the viruses, there's virus, there's there certain stone fruit viruses that are in Canada as well as the U S as the there's tons of apple viruses. And so I make sure that I get them all from, from play, from trees that have been indexed before grafting them together. And then once grafted together, I still don't give out any of my scion wood.
1: That's fair enough. So you just don't, you don't want to take that chance. I want to ask you, it's time for the contest.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. It's time for the contest, but one more quick question. I have to know you're from a farming family. What do they think of all of this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Um, My, my grandmother, uh, before she passed away, she absolutely loved it. She was just, she thought it was because it was her father that, um was sort of the inspiration for it and the other thing is that um the one of the influences i think one of the biggest influences i had in making the project was she had this enormous black cherry tree it's a farm so like every farm has this enormous cherry tree and um her husband every summer would spend we'd spend weeks during harvest season trying to turn buckle this tree like the branches to try to hold it together so that it wouldn't split and fall apart and i i think you know between uh between her, her husband and her her father that you know she really loved it you know, before she died so they're so.
1: proud of you even if you did leave farming as a, a career boy. oh no
2: it's like i came back to farming oh. that's well there yeah so they were like haha So you're a good boy now. (laughs) Awesome.
1: I I want to sneak in one more before the contest. One more email from Jake. Uh, Hi from Knoxville, Tennessee. Sounding great here. My question. I am intrigued with Sam's art background. Is there any of his art for sale? If so, where can I look at it and possibly purchase it? That's nice. So Uh, where can we see other? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Oh, most of it's on my website. So yeah, if you want to take a look and yeah, send me an email, we're pretty <laughs> Oh,
1: I, awesome. Um,
2: yeah. Also, uh, there's uh artworks on Ronald Feldman Gallery.
1: Okay. So um, we're all gonna get off this this web this call right now. We're gonna get off the radio show. We're gonna go check out your website and uh everybody can get a memento from this this beautiful conversation that we've had today. Yeah. I want to call Gary forward in the studio. Gary, it's time for the contest.
0: It is time for the contest. And what I have is all the names in a bucket. And I'm going to shake the bucket. And I think what we're going to do is have Sam tell me when to stop. And I'll pull three names. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. okay. So here we go. Stand by.
2: And Stop.
0: And stop. Okay. So hang on. Let me pull some of these out. Okay. Your first winner is Kamyar S from Brockville, Ontario. Very good. Congratulations. Excellent.
1: He was our first email. First question. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Good question. Yep.
0: And second is, is it? Giles L. from Cornwell. Jill. Jill?
1: Oh, Jill? great. Jill gets a copy. Uh, okay. From a Cornwell, Ontario. Yep.
0: And lastly, hold on.
1: Drum roll, please.
0: Let me open this up. And the last winner is Howard End from Columbus, Ohio.
1: Wonderful. Congratulations, everybody. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, everybody yeah. asked really great questions today. And we they had were. lots of participation. Oh, my gosh. So thank you everybody for sending in your emails and Sam Van Aken. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, that thank was you for fun. having
2: me here. Yeah. That's always fun talking to you.
1: Yeah. We're going to be talking again. We will be talking again in the future you <laughs> and I. So thank that's you great. so much. All right. And for the listeners, that's it for the show today. Um, but if you missed part of it, you want to go back, listen to bits, or if you want to listen to other episodes all you have to do is go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And you will find previous episodes. We are always talking about cool and interesting things. And you can also sign up for the podcast so that it comes automatically to you into your podcatcher. So So that's it for the Urban Forestry Radio Show today. And if you want any more information about fruit trees, go to orchardpeople.com. There's articles. I have online courses. I have lots of resources for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I look forward to digging into a new topic with you guys next month. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to OrchardPeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at @urbanfruittrees. Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again.